this is good for Bitcoin. And I, I think we'll see that in every which way this year. And, uh, you know, we're going to go run up against some adversity. But um, but these are these are the times when Bitcoin does well is when we face up to something, you know, defeat the level boss and then we level up. You know, um, I, I don't know if we really had a level boss that we beat in 2021, but 2022, I'm optimistic that we'll get to defeat one of those. One of the things that, that no one's brought up yet uh, is the news that just came out that uh, Rio de Janeiro is going to add Bitcoin to 1% of its city treasury. Um, so Miami has already put a certain amount of Bitcoin in its treasury. So you've got Miami and Rio de Janeiro as now two competing forces to be Bitcoin city. Who do you think is going to win? El Salvador. El Salvador is going to win because they're already they already have more Bitcoin infrastructure going on there and they're way more committed. You know, I think the funny thing to me is I, I think as as more uh, municipal districts get into Bitcoin, it just pushes that game theory where El Salvador got in early and you have Bukele sitting there like in his underwear, like buying the dip and then roasting <laughs> economists. You know what I mean? And he's just like his stack is going to get more and more valuable as they go, especially because they're mining. And I think that's really the the key. I don't really know how many uh, how many ASICs they have or how much power they have from that uh, from the the geothermal uh, vent that they're mining from, but I do think that they're going to be the ones that really they they're going to win. I think the only thing about the Rio thing is I think they're going to do their own coin like Miami coin. So I'm a little bit skeptical of that. But like Jimmy said. The uh, the real the real thing is like as the the narrative changes every year, right? There's a there's a level boss or something like that. And maybe last year we didn't necessarily defeat a new level boss, but we added power ups. You know, if you think about like Bitcoin as a video game character, you know, we added these super boosters. We had Sailor and and T Tesla and all these other people uh, that it came out. What, what's the guy? Uh, Bill Miller the other day. Or uh, is that his name, Stephen? The guy that announced that he's uh, fifty percent in Bitcoin and fifty percent in Amazon. Like that's all his holdings. Um, Same. So you, you're going to have this narrative where you're going to check the box where more people are worried about inflation, so they're going to seek that that pressure that they're feeling now is going to cause them to look around for a better landing spot for their for their money or their investment, like Jimmy said. Um, and then I think that all the municipal uh, districts are going to sit there like. Um, Gary from the Gary Leland, the Bitcoin boomer, actually made a contact with somebody from a state Senate office that is looking to uh, add Bitcoin to their treasury. Um, so uh, a couple of the people from the Bitcoin Today Coalition are going to go meet with them uh, next week. Uh, so that's that's interesting. I mean, the more that, that stuff, hap it's happening, right? It's like the Ron Paul, the GIF. It's happening. It's really happening. Um, it's just happening more and more often, you know? So I think, I think the, the more educated the public gets, the more they're going to look around and go like, wait a second, what, what system am I in right now? Like, what is this crappy matrix of, of money that, that we're, that we're trapped by? And I think that macro argument is, is, is going to get a lot of people in because they do understand that they can feel that that's tangible, that the burger prices are up, the milk prices are up, the gas prices are up, you know? Yeah. CJ, you don't think that China was last year's uh, boss, level boss? I mean, Maybe. for years, people have been saying this, right? Like, oh, Bitcoin, it's it's just centralized in China, blah, blah, blah. That has always been a common argument about why Bitcoin is a fraud, especially here in the US. And then that yeah. probably evolved overnight. 
Yeah, I, I think the, the only the only thing with that is China kind of jumped on their own sword there. They're the ones that banned Bitcoin themselves. So they're banned mining themselves. So they kind of they kind of helped out the, 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 the cause in that sense by by basically removing that huge piece of FUD, which was that China has centralized the mining. You know, so by taking that out of the mix, I think things came together a little bit. But that is a good point. Um, I, I think that like the the narrative uh, with FUD does not have to be accurate. Like, so it just only has to be a detriment, you know? So it's really everything that someone says that's negative about Bitcoin has only had the effect of like adding weight to a sled behind Bitcoin. Bitcoin's just dragging all these things up, up the hill, to, you know, up and to the right on the chart, no matter what. Um, and, and China's like, I mean, obviously, they're they're not really like super into freedom for their citizens. So that's something that I think would be uh, definitely part of the narrative for sure. What do we think of the El Salvador Pegasus thing? Do we think that is a FUD or is that probably smells like it could be true? And does anyone worry well, that? What are you I... talking about? Sorry, can you re review what the Pegasus is? So it was uh, revealed that uh, something like 30 activists and journalists in El Salvador's phones were infected with the Pegasus software, which is uh, the kind of like state tracking software that has been used to track uh, track people. So it's it's not the healthiest uh, uh, optics for El Salvador, but at the same time, probably most governments are using it, which is not to excuse it. Um, but at the same time, it does exist. Uh, and we do have a number of things that happened in El Salvador over the last 18 months that feel very authoritarian, which is, I mean, uh, something that Bitcoiners generally are against. Uh, do, do we? Does anyone feel like, as Bitcoiners, are we being objective enough about El Salvador? Uh, are we giving them a free ride because they're Bitcoiners, when really if it was now, Erdogan doing this, we would like, oh, fuck this, this is terrible. I, I feel like myself as a Bitcoiner, I feel conflicted and challenged with this. Uh, I'd be interested to know what anyone else thinks. Well, with the Pegasus, uh, with the Pegasus spyware, I mean, you could easily verify their contracts. Uh, up until 2019, that um, the NSO group was uh, actually, I think it was running as a subsidiary of an American venture capital firm. So NSO NSO group creates this Pegasus spyware. Um, but I, I think you hit on a really important point. I do think as Bitcoiners, there's been a trend I've seen, especially as it's become, as it's moved more into America, where we tend to give people a pass just because they're in the Bitcoin community. And we just get so excited. And I feel like that did happen with El Salvador. And people are just like, oh my God, this the, El Salvador is adopting Bitcoin, but they're not paying attention to everything else that is happening. Um, and yeah, I do think the the Pegasus spyware is really real. And for people that aren't aware, it was actually, there was a report uh, last year that um, over 30% of the iOS uh, population had Pegasus spyware installed on it. It was active up until iOS 14.2, I think. I'm probably scaring people with how much I know about <laughs> this random piece of spyware. Well, I mean, what, what you're pointing out is absolutely correct, though, right? Like, uh, it's not just El Salvador. It's every yeah. tech company has way more information than they should. And I, 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 I get the, like, concern about El Salvador. But to me, like, a lot of the criticism is, like, from people that, like, had had no problems with it until it's like, oh, okay, well, El Salvador's doing it and they're, sh 
throwing shade at Bitcoin. It's like, okay, I don't think that's true, like had no concerns about legal tender laws until El Salvador adopted it as Bitcoin. Now he's suddenly like, oh, I'm all pro, you know, liberty. And, uh, you know, they, they shouldn't force people to take a certain currency and all that stuff. I like, like you said, like Pegasus has, is like a very big thing. And every tech company has way more information than the El Salvadorian government ever will. Like just like by orders of magnitude on not just the people, like just a small subset of journalists in El Salvador, but pretty much like everyone around the world that has a cell phone. Like th this is not a small amount of data. Um, and you know, we don't like nobody talks about that. It's if you really were concerned about that particular thing, then you would have objected to all of that for years instead of now bringing it up. Oh, okay. Well, you know, El Salvador, you know, let's throw some shade at Bitcoin. I, I feel like it's like Are we talking about the same, same thing here, Jimmy. Are we talking about tracking data versus access to your private communications? Because I don't think tech companies have those access to your private communications. Oh, of course they do. It's on their they servers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the ones that create the ones that create the software, but it's not like uh, Airbnb can go into my WhatsApp messages. No, yeah. but Google can go into your phone and you know, Apple can go into your phone. Like that that's been true forever. Yeah, and there's, there's, I think there's a slight difference when it's um, like a, a government going into the mess, private messages of journalists and activists versus uh, Google, which is a commercial operator trying to sell products on the base of it. I'm not saying that both. I'm saying both wrong, but I think they're I think they're different things, and I, I think comparing the two is slightly risky. I so really ask, think they're the same thing. <laughs> like, the the go Google and Apple is they're, is Google they're arresting as much tech overlords over us as the government is over us. But is Google well, would, 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 but Google Google will never put journalists in jail. I mean if you look at Erdogan in Turkey where he imprisons journalists who are critical of him and that is something that happens with autocratic regimes and it's something that's a threat and that and that's a that's No, a, but a, they'll a cooperate with governments and give them whatever info they want without any like warrants or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that 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 happens all the time in the US. Like mm -hmm. Like the, 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 this has been going on for a while, like to make it out to be something like brand new. And it's a, it's an extraordinary thing that only this government is guilty of is. But it's I, not, I think, but it's, I think Jimmy, people aren't saying that. Like, I think we're like fully aware there was criticism of Poland for having the Pegasus mm -hmm. software. There's been plenty of public and high profile uh, criticism of countries that have been using Pegasus. This like El Salvador isn't the first time this has been raised. Yeah. Well, and Peter, I, I, I think you actually have a really interesting take here, and, uh, and, and it is something that has to be addressed, right? I mean, you know, I, I do have a different take on it, and, and, and my take on the entire situation, I, I kind of take a step back and look at it from a macro perspective and say, yes, they, they are doing that. Yes, it is bad, and, and it has been an authoritarian regime for a very long time. Um, but my take is sometimes these regimes take time to move into a de democracy. And if you try to go in and force somebody to become a democracy too early, then um, there's could be a little bit of backlash. But if, if a country is embracing aspects of democracy and freedom, which is, which is Bitcoin, that's, that's a, you know, freedom. Um, I, I think, freedom will slowly seep into all aspects of the of, of, of the government and that's where the change begins 
Well, hold yeah. on, hold on. El Salvador is a democracy, has been a democracy. Um, and one, I mean, you know, the last four leaders have been you know, pieces of shit and they've been corrupt and stolen money and fled the government hit out of Nicaragua. But it was always a democracy. You know, Bukele came in under a democratic vote, but he has now changed the constitution that allows him to serve a second term when previously it was only a single term presidency. So it was always a democracy. And I, I, my point I'm trying to make is, is like, he looks great at the moment. Most populists look great in their first term, sometimes their second term. It's when things go bad and they do end up arresting journalists or uh, shooting protesters that, that, you know, that when it becomes an issue. Now, he looks great at the moment. What happens when things go bad? And like, is there a scenario whereby we've embraced this and we've not been objective enough and we've not been as, uh, you know, we haven't used enough don't trust verify that if things did turn bad in El Salvador, if the regime did become full authoritarian, would we all look back and go, we fucked up here? I think there's a couple of things, if I can jump in here, that I, I think you're highlighting a really important thing, um, that that just because somebody's into Bitcoin doesn't mean that they're a great person, right? But that's kind of the point of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is for enemies. And the really cool part is even if a, you know, an individual is using Bitcoin, um, the people of El Salvador are benefiting from the freedom aspects of it. So implementing something that that gives freedom to people through financial freedom it doesn't help someone who's wanting to be a dictator at the end of the day. They may think short term it does, maybe they don't understand it, but they're giving those freedoms to their people. Um, so I think I agree with you that like we need to be more objective. I'm not a huge fan of Bitcoiners uh, spouting don't trust verify, but they're constantly trusting because somebody said Bitcoin, so they're our BFF. Um, that's just human nature. Uh, we're flawed human beings, right? So I do think that there's something there, but I also sort of agree with Jimmy in the fact that like, People who don't like Bitcoin, of course, jump on this. Of course, they're going to use it as a reason why Bitcoin sucks or why Bitcoin's for extremists or why it's for, you know, racist, white, you know, uh, alt-right people. Like, this is just part of it. And we kind of have to take that with a grain of salt and sort of push back against that. But it is important to be objective. And I will agree that I would say people in the space are not great at that sometimes. Um, I think El Salvador is a huge movement of freedom for its people. Um, but I will say that I have not quite jumped on the everything they do is awesome train. Um, so I'm a little, I, I kind of sit on the fence on that one. Definitely get yeah. both sides. And th this is sort of like a very typical sort of political kind of attack, at, at least in my mind. It's that, okay, well, you're a Bitcoiner, so you have to defend every Bitcoiner. No, we don't. The whole point is that we are self-sovereign over our coins. You don't have any, you don't, you don't get to choose who gets to be a Bitcoiner and anyone that like there are people on my team that I despise, right? That I think are completely immoral, but there are also people that I really like and uh, that's okay. You don't have to defend every Bitcoiner and their actions it, it, just because they own Bitcoin. We're a very diverse group of people and we got into it for all sorts of different reasons. But, you know, Bukele likes Bitcoin. Doesn't mean I have to defend every one of his actions. In fact, I'm not his keeper. I, I, I have no interest in, in, in a lot of that stuff. Uh, what I will say, though, is that a lot of the criticisms against Bitcoin are made under that assumption that if you're a Bitcoiner, you have to defend every other Bitcoiner. And I, 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 I just don't, uh, I, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's true. And, you know, that's, that's my perspective, I guess. I think the, the Bitcoin community is just praising um, El Salvador for what they're doing with Bitcoin. Right. They're not, I think we're not really giving them a pass for what, for, for what else they're doing. And even if we didn't give them a pass for that, um, 
it's not like Bitcoin community can change El Salvador's ways, right? So countries do all sorts of bad things. Um, and because we're focused on El Salvador, because what they're doing with Bitcoin, we notice other things that they're doing, the other bad things they're doing. Um, it doesn't mean that we have to, um, it's not like we can change it, right? So I think we continue to praise them for what they're doing with Bitcoin. And that's kind of our focus, right? I mean, what, well, Peter, you, well, come on, well, look, look, I mean, we go, there's people who go online all day, every day, yelling and screaming at people for creating a shit coin. Uh, yeah, they keep quiet about certain things by certain autocratic regimes that lead to the imprisonment of people and murder and other things. So I just think, I don't know. I'm personally, I, I firstly feel like I'm feeling like I'm stepping back and pulling away from it because I think it, you know, somebody who's, told sometimes like i have the journalistic responsibility that if i was a journalist looking at the el salvador situation there are things that make me a little bit nervous both as a journalist and a bitcoiner i think it's important to criticize and i will say that um I, what was it four months ago or so um that there was some some big pushback about the covid restrictions and mandates that he had in place um that it was you know pretty much you needed to have a vaccine passport to get in or have a test or do this or that and there was a huge pushback of it. And somehow then there was a change in the mandates, right? And those were improved. So I think it's totally good to criticize the bad. And I think people are doing it. Um, are there people out there that completely ignored bad choices because it's, uh, it's, it's not uh, convenient for them? Yeah. But I would say that it's important to note that the Bitcoin community, one, there is no Bitcoin community, right? Like we're a bunch of individuals that happen to use the same form of money. And as it grows, it will be less important what everybody does as a group and everybody will make independent decisions um but i i do agree like it should be criticized those things need to be criticized and anyone who's standing for freedom i think alex gladstein makes a really good point of criticizing the bad but but uplifting the good choices um and i think that's a good role model of how to handle it um but i would say that people are doing that in my opinion yeah i mean look one of the things you know because we are bitcoiners and and, and i agree with you justine once once there's mass adoption. We're not going to have this ability anymore, but at the moment, because there are fewer of us than, you know, the half the population of the world, um, we can, uh, we, we have that commonality and we can have conversations with people, right? I mean, if, if, if there was something I was doing wrong, I'm sure, you know, Charlie or CJ or Peter or, 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 or Christy Lee, you know, you, you guys would come set me aside and point it out, right, as I would do for you. And it's not because we're being critical. It's because we, we, we genuinely want to grow this community together and, and get adoption. I mean, that's, that's one of the things. So I think we have an opportunity as Bitcoiners at this point in time uh, if, if there's a country that's adopting it. And there's some things that we're looking at that we're, that we're critical of to have conversations uh, you know, Peter, you, you, you in particular, I mean, you've, you've, you've had audiences, you've been there and you've had audiences there. You probably have a probably more of an opportunity than, than almost anybody else to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and say, Hey, there's some things I really like about your regime. There's some things I don't like. Let's, let's talk about that, you know? And, um, yeah. and that's how you bring about change, finding the commonality and, and then, and then expressing concerns on some of the things on the fringes. Yeah, I think the thing, uh, you know, one of the things that I keep thinking about that's happening, it's already happened this year, the other day, Bitcoin magazine got booted off YouTube. 
uh, like in the middle of their stream or something like that. So one of the, the issues as we're talking about, let's say technology, authoritarianism, whatever, and maybe like tech being a little bit overbearing for some people, tech companies being overbearing for their users, uh, is, is Bitcoin going to fix deplatforming this year? Are we going to figure out a, a platform that Bitcoiners can use uh, where we can speak our mind? Because I think a lot of times in the process of taking something, obviously, the Bitcoin that's, that's only a couple years old relative to the, the country, and, uh, and it's even younger than, let's say, the Silicon Valley or something like that, obviously. So we're, we're taking these, these hugely antagonistic, uh, like, ideological takes, right? So we're saying, oh, the, the money is broken. That's very inflammatory to a lot of people. So as we're saying these inflammatory things as Bitcoiners and sort of putting these ideas out there that we want to change this stuff with, with money, with the way, the way people are paid, with the way people are saving, we're at risk as individuals for having our voices silenced, right? So we have to figure out ways to sort of grow that voice. Um, I think that's the real thing that I'm, I'm thinking about as, as I'm listening to everybody talk about this particular issue, because I'm seeing these instances come up where people are getting booted off Twitter, they're getting booted off, you know, uh, YouTube and stuff like that. And there's not really like a really, there's not a really good reason that you have a guy talking about Bitcoin getting booted off YouTube. And then you have like, let's say uh, some Al Qaeda Twitter or something like that, talking about like murdering a president and that, that is still on there. Right. So there's these like very weird sort of dualities that we're experiencing. Um, and I guess like, uh, so Charlie and, and Jimmy um, and, and Peter, um, I guess my question for you guys is have you guys experimented at all with, any of these other sort of, let's say, Bitcoin or uh, lightning level uh, content services and stuff like that. And do you guys see that being something that, that increases adoption because people sort of gravitate in that direction so that they, they can feel like they can hold on to something and not be deplatformed? Let me, let me talk about one thing first. So um, people getting deplatformed, getting booted off uh, YouTube or Twitter, um, for the most part, I don't think they're being targeted. Right, this just happens to just random people, right? So I, I used to work for YouTube. This is like ten years ago, um, where I mean, it's automated scripts. Um, you get complaints quite a bit, and then if you like uh, complain about a channel, a lot of users complain, and they do it automatically, right? They just boot this channel off, and then because it's a big company, it takes a while for customer service to get to a ticket to figure out if this was a valid. Um, banning of a channel. So that's probably what happened to this and also people who get banned from Twitter. So it's not like they're targeting Bitcoin, but Bitcoin may, might have some enemies and they're just, the enemies are attacking and it, it happens. So I don't think these things are like just targeted, but it's true that um, it happens and we want platforms that you don't get easily get the platform from. Um, so far, we I haven't really seen anything that that really works that well there's been a lot of attempts at decentralized twitter stuff like that but it's a network effect just like bitcoin right it's just, the network effect for twitter is so huge that it's almost impossible for any anybody else to come in to overtake it they have to be much better than what twitter is doing today and it's it's hard just like for an altcoin to take over bitcoin it has to be much better than bitcoin right it can't just be slightly better it can't just be equal it has to be much better and I don't see that happening anytime in the future. Well, it, it, it could even be better and fail just because of network effects. Network Correct. effects are so powerful. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, have you guys seen anything that that could potentially take on YouTube or, or Twitter or Facebook? Well, the, the thing is, like, uh, we're, we're talking about platforms. And if you're competing as a platform, you're, you're never going to, like, it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, although, you know, I, I am seeing some cracks along, like, the big tech company, like, lines and stuff like that. There's a, there's a lot of um, discontent at a lot of these places. A lot of the people are leaving for all kinds of reasons and stuff like that. And it's, you know, like at, at this point in uh, in history, it's like kind of cringy to go to like a big tech company like that at this point as a coder or anything like that, because it's like, yeah, you might get paid a lot, but you're going to be like a cafeteria coder for the rest of your life. Yeah, I, that's that's real good. Um, so I, I think uh, like if you're talking platforms, I, I really don't think we're going to go in that direction. Um, but if you're talking about running your own server, I think that's the direction that I think Bitcoiners will be going towards. Um, and that's not a platform, right? Like uh, you're not using somebody else's server. A platform is somebody else's server that you are getting access to as a client. Um, instead, if you're running your own server, running your own services like a Lightning node, uh, we and we learned this from Bitcoin that, you know, if you're running your own node, then you are you can check without trusting anybody. You can that that's something that you can do. Um, right now, like most of the internet is centralized around these big tech companies. So most people don't have an email address. They use Gmail, right? Like or ProtonMail or whatever. Those are all platforms. What what needs to happen, I think, for real decentralization is for people to run their own mail servers, right? Like, and this was the original design of the internet where you would have lots of different mail servers and, you know, people would get their email delivered that way and so on. Um, yeah, that's a lot more work because you have to run your own server, make sure it's maintained um, and not attacked and all that stuff. And it costs money. Uh, but that's that's the direction that we have to go to. And if you do want something that's going to compete with Twitter, well, it's going to have to be something that's actually like where you're running your own server and putting out your own tweets in uh, in some sort of like, um, you know, decentralized way where you're you're able to like not get the platform because there's no platform. Um, and that that that's. I think the direction that we'll eventually get to as people come to recognize just how um, how bad some of these uh, platforms are getting. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, it, a lot of it is sort of like, um, uh, you know, like mistakes in an algorithm or whatever. But try, you know, writing something like ivermectin is a drug that was created in 1995 or something like that on Twitter. And it'll give you a warning, right? Like, and if you mention COVID at all on YouTube, it will give you a warning. If you say anything about the election from 2020, it'll give you a warning. Like that's that—that's the sort of thing that really pisses people off. But like transitioning to another platform, whether it's like Gab or Getter or something else, like that's just playing the same game. I think it, it needs to be a completely different game. Um, and that's not something that's going to be quick. Um, it's, it's probably a 5, 10, 20 year project of people sort of like recognizing, okay, I'd rather be self-sovereign and, you know, like that, that th this is the only way that I'm going to be really like immune to deplatforming because I'm not on a platform. I have my own. 
that that's uh, that's the way it's it's got to be and i think that's uh, that's the direction it's going to go but it's it's not going to happen this year yeah and and going back to the point of network effects is that there are plenty of people out there who actually appreciate and like some of the censorship that happens on these platforms uh you know we're a unique bunch here in this room or in, in bitcoin is that we are a little bit off when we see censorship and i think the problem in these platforms is they've confused what is moderation and censorship i personally don't mind a bit of moderation you know you go to some of these other platforms and some of the levels of conversation is and i don't want to see it i don't want to see that and so i think there's a difference between the two i think they've moved from moderation to censorship but there's a lot of people who think the censorship is fine it's like you know a lot of people who think that uh, some of the things that are being censored are they're, they're removing misinformation so it's it's like we might we might want another platform we might think there should be another platform, but there aren't enough people out there willing to move that will create that network effect. Yeah, and the, the, on that on that note, Peter, kind of like what Jimmy was saying, uh, how much effort are people willing to put in, you know, to learn a new skill? Because running a server on your own is a new skill. Running an app on your own is a new skill. Running these these types of things, and if we can integrate that the same way that people are integrating learning how to do a Bitcoin transaction into the sort of common vernacular. I think that it's all sort of coming up at the same time. Like a lot of us, when we were little kids, like, you know, if we would have, if someone would have shown you an iPhone when you were three years old and, and all that, like a, from today and all the things it can do and all the apps it can run and all the photos it can take and the filters on TikTok and all those things, it would have blown people's minds in, in you know, in 1983, that for me, you know, but the, the way I look at it is that as we age and we get older and we learn new skills because these skills become essential. And if something is essential to you and it's important to you, you will figure out a way to do it. You know, just like, you know, there's, there's a shelf life to these things as well. Like there was a time where everyone was on MySpace and then MySpace sold for nearly a billion dollars and no one used it anymore. And if you look at Facebook now, I, you know, I don't use it really. I don't really know many people who do, uh, you know, none, certainly n neither of my kids are using it, I plan to use it. Uh, even Instagram or Snapchat has been replaced by TikTok. Like things change. I think if I think just maybe like a different kind of, like it may become a time where people just don't want to use Twitter anymore. They're like fed up of it and it just loses its place in the world. I think that's more likely to happen than somebody go, oh, Twitter's censoring people. We need to do a better Twitter. I just think it's more likely just something different comes out that people don't expect and that would be better. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, Facebook is seen as the uh, as social social networking for boomers, right? Um, you know, no, I don't know any kids that have ever been on a Facebook. You know, um, it's it's and 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 CJ, to your point, it's funny. I mean, because we all probably watched Back to the Future too, right? And you had hoverboards and video. Where's chats. my fucking hoverboard? We are we are in we are in Back to the Future too right now. We're we're literally talking to each other via video in our houses. It's amazing. And, and these things are now just commonplace for people. I mean, man, when I was growing up, we, I remember when we only had three channels, right? Three channels and, 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 a, and a phone that was connected to the wall by a cord. And, um, and, 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 and as things move and they move faster and faster and faster, I mean, remember how long we were all on Facebook or, or MySpace and then Facebook and then these other things have now happened very quickly. So, so yeah, I think, I, I think you're right. I think, I think a new platform just comes out that's different and people you know and then and then the next generation just migrates to it and uh everything else is just not cool anymore 
Well, comparing comparing this to Bitcoin, so like running your own mail server or running your own uh, Twitter client or node is the is similar to like um, storing your own private keys, right? So if you're if you're really serious about it, you would do that, right, for your own protection. Um, if you're serious about privacy, you you will run your own mail server, right? And but it's not for everyone, like you said, CJ, right? It's not. And not everyone can can store their own private keys, so they use centralized services, and that's why most people use centralized um, platforms like Twitter, where with Bitcoin centralized services you can get hacked, you can lose your coins. With Twitter, you, they can ban you or or censor you. Right? It's kind of similar, right? But the thing about open internet and about like decentralized Bitcoin is that you have a choice, right? You can always opt out. And you don't have to use Twitter. We're not in a society or in a country where they force you to use one platform and you have to use that, right? If you don't like Twitter, you get banned from Twitter. If you don't like Reddit or Bitcoin, you got censored there. You can always go to a different uh, different platform, right? There's all these other different platforms. They may not have the, the network effect, but you have a choice. You still have a choice. And that's the beauty of open internet. And that's the beauty of uh, Bitcoin being decentralized. Is you always have a choice to opt out of a centralized service if you want. And if you if you're able to do it, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's why you know businesses like like Valkyrie and Unchained Capital can work together, right? Because you know Valkyrie is a business where people don't want to do anything, right? They don't want to set up their own stuff. They they just want to hand you some some cash and say go put this in Bitcoin, right? Um, you know, Unchained Capital, they're like teaching people how to set up their own things and they're storing it for them and helping with the security and all that. And then there's people way over here that are just like, no, I'm going to do it all myself. And, but yeah, there's, there's, there's different levels of people and, 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 you know, or people have different levels and there's a, there's a full spectrum. And, and that's why all of these different services can all, can all work together in the same ecosystem. Yeah. And I, I think that's one thing that's really interesting with like, when you're having conversations with someone that's very new to Bitcoin, they say, Oh, what do you do with your Bitcoin? And it's like, well, how many bank accounts do you have? How many credit cards do you have? You know, when people realize how many different layers of exposure they have in the traditional finance sense, then I think they have a really, that you see all those things are actually developing on the, on the, in the Bitcoin uh, stack as well. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's, that's great about Bitcoin is you can, you can mine it, you can store it, you can trade it, you can send it, you can, you know, hide it. Uh, there's a lot of different things and, and use cases there, just like just like regular, you know, dollars or whatever. Um, but the one thing that's interesting is is like you have people connected because of their ideology through Bitcoin. And even though, like Jimmy said, there's people that are maybe have disparate uh, ethics or disparate morals or something like that, because and the reason why they're using Bitcoin is maybe not the same reason why you're using Bitcoin. Um, freedom is messy. Right. And as we're going to see this evolution in the space, there's going to be some messy parts of that where people are going to get, you know, in trouble or they're going to get um, uh, ahead of themselves a little bit or or whatever. It just like just like anything else, just like politics or or celebrity or, you know, anything else. There's going to be people that uh, throw their hard drives away and they're searching some dump in, in the in London. Peter, like, what's the story with this guy out here that's like still looking for his computer? Threw you know what? There was there was a there was a fund who offered to pay the council tens of millions to excavate the dump to go and find that computer. Uh, they were willing to fund it, knowing they would take a percentage of the Bitcoin if they found that drive. Yeah. 
Like, 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 I can't remember the price of Bitcoin the last time the story broke, but the last time the story broke, it was $270 million of Bitcoin. This story keeps breaking like every few months. I was going to say, it's <laughs> like a continuing. Every few months, there's people rehash this story. Every like family member or friend that I've somehow onboarded to Bitcoin, when it comes back around, will send it to me and be like, Justine, what is this? And I'm like, oh, multi-sig solves that. This is my Bitcoin fixes this. It's like multi-sig fixes this. Don't worry. Wait, you're the good. Dude's you're a, good. The dude's a B-casher anyway, I think. <laughs> no <laughs> comment funny. then. No comment. Yeah, it's fine. Will... It's, it's, it's... Oh, sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, it's kind of like the uh, uh, Japanese gold in the Philippines. You know, there's always stories about it and it's been going on since, since World War II and People are always going out excavating, looking for looking for the gold that they hid. Um. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Though I think that just like with Bitcoin, private keys, um, I'm I'm a believer that everybody will hold their own keys because that's a huge value proposition for Bitcoin, and I think that it'll just be easier to do as we go along. As Stephen mentioned, you know, Unchained Capital is trying to help do that as well, where you still have control, but we help you. Um, but I think it's kind of the same with the social media aspect. Like everybody should be running their own servers. That's that's the that's the solution that fixes it. But how do we get everybody there? Because right now that's kind of tricky for people. So I think it will get easier over time. We see things get easier. Um, I'm still amazed when I look at all the things that technology and our cell phones can do. So I'm still a boomer in that way. But I think that it, every day, every day things are getting easier, and that's where I see it going as well. And you need to put some effort into it, right? Like, um, like. It Freedom used comes to be, with personal responsibility, right? Yeah, like it, it, yeah, it used to be that people were running their own mail servers when, if you wanted an email address and stuff like that. But people stopped because, uh, you know, these tech companies made it very easy and they made you the product, right? Like they started selling your information in order to make up for the fact that you're they're providing it for free. And most people were okay with that, including myself right now, right? I'm using Gmail or whatever. Uh, but there will come a day when, you know, the cost benefit analysis will change. And, uh, you know, like as you get... Uh, these tools, like I, I really want like Umbral or Start9 to have a mail server option on, on it so that, hey, you know, hook up your domain to it and, you know, we'll, we'll handle all of that and add, add the security patches and stuff. I think that's like reasonable enough where a, a significant portion of, uh, say, the Bitcoin community to, can get on board and do stuff like that. And I don't know, maybe you can add like a lightning gateway so that if you want to log into the server and send some mail for a particular domain, you have to pay a few sats or something like that to prevent spam. There, there are so many ways in which uh, the actual technology that's there can be improved through sort of like uh, integration of these technologies. It's just that... No one's really interested in doing it because no one's really funding it. And it's uh, it's up to the people that care about liberty, that care about privacy, that care about security to actually like fund some of it. Right. Be willing to pay for it, because if you're getting it for free, then you're probably the product. And if you are the product, well, then they don't really give a rat's ass about you. So, yeah. Funny, Jimmy, funny that you mentioned um, email spam because proof of work was invented to combat email spam. Right. It was the initial thing was that to send an email, you have to do a small amount of work so that you can't do, you can't send a million, millions of emails without doing all that work. So it was actually invented to, uh, to combat email spam, but it was never used for that. So Christy Lee, do you see people uh, co-locating uh, email servers on their, on their off-grid Bitcoin mining rigs uh, soon? Is that, is that something that we could be, we could be putting out there? 
I mean, it would be a smart business model to adapt ASICs to be capable of more than just being ASICs when it costs that much more energy. But I, I have a different take. I think, I don't think people care enough about decentralization and I don't think they care enough about self-sovereignty and I don't think they ever will. I think there's a small subsection of ecosystem that cares a lot and always has. And that's why we have all these advancements in cryptography and in, you know, in the technology field, but not enough people really care. There's way, there's more problems for them to worry about than, you know, how do I make sure that I am owning my own data? And I don't think that people are going to be incentivized to run their own servers until there's proper financial incentive. So I think if we want to get there, what we have to do is figure out how do you incentivize, monetarily incentivize running nodes? How do you incentivize running your own email server? How do you make sure that turns not into a form of mining, but into a, a kickback loop? And then that's when people will start caring a little bit more because they're starting to make money from it. And it's gone up in their internal queue of here's why I should care. Um, so yeah, different take, but no, yeah, I, mean, I, I, yeah. I think this is what Bitcoin fixes because <clears throat> you have monetary incentives for almost everything. Um, already, if yeah. you're running a lightning node, you can make fees routing and stuff like that. That's that's mm -hmm. motivation. Um, and, you know, if you if you're running a mail server that charges for every uh, every incoming mail, like a few sats or something like that, that's another monetary incentive. Money is the thing that drives all of this stuff. Part of why the web is as messed up and centralized as it is, is because everything had to go through advertising. That's really how the entire web is funded. But if you if you have a direct method of payment. It can, uh, you know, the entire market can become a lot more rational and you can have monetary incentives that work. It's, uh, it's a matter of uh, trying different business models and seeing it. And this is one of the really exciting things about Lightning is that it does sort of like allow it at a very micro level without needing to set up like payment processors and bank accounts and all this other stuff. You can just sort of do it without anyone's permission. And that's ultimately what's, what's going to get us there, I think. Um, I, I, I think everything you said is right, but Bitcoin fixes this, right? Well, I think exactly because microtransactions was actually not feasible before Bitcoin and Lightning, right? So before back then, when it wasn't feasible, the only way for these sites to monetize is through ads. And that's why we have this ad-based system. But with microtransactions becoming more and more feasible, um, like Jimmy said, things can actually be fixed by this we can have different ways of solving this solution, solving this problem. Yeah. Well, great. Well, it, it looks like we're getting the hook from our producers, but before we wrap it up, uh, I, I do want to do two things. Number one, I want to have a quick poll. And if you're comfortable, raise your hand if you're going to be at Bitcoin 2022 in April in Miami. Wow. All right. So I uh, hope to see everybody there. Um, second of all, I just want to congratulate um, a lot of the people that have joined us. Um, we all have uh, a lot of people have accomplished some personal things as long as some, some, some business things as well. Um, first of all, I want to congratulate Justine on getting engaged and uh, hopefully not being runaway bride this year and getting married. <laughs> it's happening, it's happening. <laughs> uh, I want to congratulate Chairman 
Peter McCormick for buying a football team and driving them to the Premier Leagues. Congratulations, Peter. Thank you. Jimmy and CJ, congratulations on your book. I can't wait to read it. And then, and then Charlie and Christy Lee, congratulations on getting back into the game and building and coding and leading teams of developers again and continuing to build our ecosystem. Uh, so, so congratulations, everybody. I think it's going to be a fantastic year. And uh, CJ, do you want to sign us off? All right. Well, that was uh, a really fun live stream from uh, from everybody on. Uh, appreciate everybody joining, and all the opinions are not financial advice. This is also this is very important. Uh, also, uh, social bollocks. What's that? Financial financial advice by Bitcoin bollocks to you. Into <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, and buy football clubs. That's yeah, buy football clubs. Yeah, math so, advice. Uh, if everybody could just uh, go go really quick and just say where we can follow you, uh, Justine. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, Miss Hoddle, M S H O D L. Okay, thank you. And then Christy Lee. Twitter, oh god, a girl. There you go, Peter. Twitter, Peter McCormack. And then uh, Peter, where are, are your football clubs on on Twitter as well, right? Yeah, Rail Bedford, R E A L Bedford. All right, Charlie. Yeah, I'm Satoshi Light on Twitter. Okay, Jimmy. I am Jimmy Song on Twitter. All right, and I am signing us out. Thank you for joining, everybody. This has been another episode of the Bitcoin Bob Watch.